Okay, so tonight is part two of my three-part series. Um, I actually renamed it, so it's kind of a work in progress. But I think what we're going to call this series is Killing the Quit. You like that? It's good, right? We're, we're, is it synonymous? Like, we like the title. Yes, as a family. Good. All right. So Killing the Quit, part two. Um, and, and really, I guess my desire in this is, is we've been talking a little bit about it lately uh, with what the Lord has been doing and stirring in my heart is really this understanding of believing that, it, it, as funny as it sounds, believing that the Bible is the truth, okay? And that the Bible is the truth in the sense that it is the, um, the guideline, it is the instruction manual for how I can experience the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God manifested here in my life right now. That I don't have to wait to go to heaven to experience the fullness of God's plan for me, but that I can experience the goodness of God, like the scripture says, in the land of the living. That I don't have to wait to die in the sweet by and by was I'm caught up in the sky and now finally I experience my healing. No, no, no. That's not the plan of God for my life. God's plan is that I would experience the fullness of everything that God has for me here on this earth right now. To the place, uh, you're a little, that's a little weak, but you'll get, you'll get there. Like, where we're going is good, so you'll get there. You see, you were born to win. This side, they're always weak. Okay? And I know that. It's just, this is it. I said, you were born to win. Okay, but this is the thing that has been going on on the inside of me. You know that you, uh, I have a right to never lose. I mean, this is the thing that's been going on in my brain, and it's been like really rocking my world, is that Anything the scripture says that I put my hands to do will prosper. You were born to win. Everything that you do, it's been challenging me because, you know, sometimes we feel like, you know, well, you're going to do it and you're going to fail and you're going to do it and you're going to fail and you're going to do it and you're going to fail. And then eventually, you know, sometime in the future, you're finally going to do it and it's going to succeed. And I would say no to that. I would say if I'm born to win and everything that I put my hands to, I can expect to prosper. I don't ever expect that something that I do isn't going to work out. You see, can you see where I'm going a little? You know, one of the things that's been happening on the inside of me is the Lord has been really challenging me. And I'm sure each and every one of you are experiencing this, where God has been challenging me to push beyond things that our society has said is normal. You know, kind of like mantras that our society has, that when you kind of peel them back, you realize, I actually don't want any part of that. Like, I'll give you an example, right? So Danielle and I got married, you know, it's been six months. Hey, right? Like, I forgot to buy her something on our six-month anniversary, so I didn't know that was a thing. I know. But supposedly it's written in some rule book of women and whatever. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I noticed a lot as I was getting ready to get married 
was people would tell me about how challenging the first year of marriage was. Haven't you heard that, right? Like for those of you that are married, and maybe some of you experienced it, maybe it wasn't like a year that wasn't good, maybe it was a couple <laughs> years, okay? But that was something that people were saying to me a lot. Like, oh, beware of the first year, you know? It's, you know, if you can make it past the first year, then you're gold. And honest to God, it started to make me a little bit nervous. Like I'm thinking like, how crazy could she get, right? <laughs> like I'm thinking, you're going to get worse? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But this, is, this was a part of it that was challenging me. And finally, one day, the Lord woke me up and said to me, you know, you don't have to experience that. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, like, when people say, when people are like, oh, you know, how's it going for your marriage? I'm like, this is blissful. Okay, like, honestly, we don't, I, I think that we've had one major blowout in six months. And now, mind you, maybe it was all of the negativity because that was a blowout. But I mean, one in six months isn't that bad, right? But this was something that I began to, that I realized was just because people say it and just because somebody else experiences it doesn't mean that I have to be a partaker of that. You know, when people say, you know, oh, the economy's bad, do you know that there are people who get rich when the economy is bad? Did you know that there are people that get poor when the economy is good? We have been given this innate ability from heaven to rule and reign just as Christ did when he was here on the earth. He didn't just accept something because somebody said, well, this is just the way that it goes. I mean, we saw that the moment when he walked on water, right? Like, he was pretty determined to just break every expectation that man had to show us that impossible actually is possible. I feel like that's what God is doing this year in 2017. As we've talked about, the year of our great harvest is understanding that God's desire is to launch us into the fullness of who we've been destined to be. And then if I can just break away from things that society tells me, this is, this is just the way it's going to be. You know, you could never expect to own your own home. You know, you could, oh, you know, 55, you know, things start to fall apart now. You know, maybe that's 65, I don't know what age I was. But I've determined in myself that I'm just not going to accept things because people say this is what happens. That my new standard of what I can expect, I'm going to get that from the word. That if I can have all the things that are written in the book, I don't want to settle for what society tells me, this just happens. Like your business. Well, you know, don't expect to make any money for the first five years. If you last that long. But you see, sometimes what happens to us is that we accept and adopt these things and we don't realize them. Okay, because I tell you something, there is nothing powerful, there's nothing on earth that's powerful enough 
to stop your blessing. Let me say that again. There is nothing on earth that is powerful enough to stop your blessing. The devil, he's not strong enough. The principalities and powers of the air, they're not strong enough. Your boss is not strong enough. The report that you got from your doctor, it's not strong enough. It doesn't have enough power to keep you out of the promise of God. What we've been learning is, is from the very beginning of scriptures, my identity has been to subdue and take dominion over the things of this natural world. I am not a victim to my situations, but I have been the very essence of my creation is that I would be victorious over every situation that I find myself in. And to settle for anything less than that Is it necessary? It's, it's just not necessary. Because you see, the scripture, Proverbs 18, says it like this, that the power of life and death are where? In our great obedience to the scriptures. The power of life and death is in how good you could do. No, it doesn't say that. It says the power of life and death is what is in your tongue. But what? Choose. Choose life. We have been given this amazing ability to choose what happens in our life. The fruit of my life is directly related to one thing, and that is, what do I believe about my life? That's it. Like, we could boil all of the scriptures down and realize that my victory depends on one thing. And that is, can I believe that the scripture is the truth? So, you know, one of the things, and, and I call this uh, teaching series, Killing the Quit, because one of the things that I realized was, is that if I'm destined to win, that just feels good. Just say that. Just say, I'm destined to win. Does that, it feels good. Because, you know, the world wants to make you feel that you're destined to be average. You know, that you're destined to just, maybe just squeak by. But I, I say it to myself all the time, you know, and I say it to Danielle, right, about just like our life. And, you know, we, we're destined to win. That everybody in the whole world could tell us that we're crazy. Because there's some things that we do that are crazy. Like, sometimes we don't tell people some things we do because we know, like, you're going to think that we're crazy. But I tell you something, when we sit down and we talk together, it, 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 it just bubbles out of us that we are destined to win. Yeah. Like sometimes I'll ask her, like, are you nervous? And, and I'm, because I'm nervous, right? And so I'm like, are you nervous? Like I'm nervous. And she'll respond like, I'm not nervous. Like I know we're going to succeed in this. There is nothing that can stop us. Why? Because what happens is, is that the more that I dive into the scriptures, the more that I discover what? That I am everything the word says that I am. And nothing can stop that. And so, I, I, like I said, I call this killing the quit because one of the things that I think about is that if I'm destined to win, I want to know what are the things that could potentially stop me from winning. Isn't that what you'd say? Like, 
If all I have to do is keep moving forward because I'm destined to win, which means like I'm just, I'm just walking into my victory, right? That's what the New Testament is about. Can I tell you? We've been, you know, religion tells us that it's a, you know, an obstacle and it's a battle and it's a fight and, you know, you better watch it and the devil's going to get you. That's not what it is. We were dead. You know, Jesus, when he went to the cross, you know that he defeated the devil? You are, we are not fighting against the enemy. Okay? Uh, so if I'm destined to win, I want to know. I want to know one thing. What are the things that could potentially knock me off of my path? Is, is that true? Like if all I have to do is keep moving and I'm going to win, I need to know what are the things in my life that are going to keep me from moving? And last week we did that. We started to talk about these things, and we used the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And we talked about four keys, because one of the things that I want to know is, I want to know that. I need to know, how do I kill the quit in my life? Because if I can kill the quit, then what? Nothing can stop me from getting to the promise of what God has for me. I mean, this is the truth, right? In Galatians 6, verse 7 to 9, it says this, But be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he, soweth, for, 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 for he that soweth to the flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption, which we don't want. But whoever sows the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So let us not be weary in doing well, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know the crazy thing about this to me? Is that God set up a system, and it just speaks to his amazing, like, belief in us. That the blessing of God is not on what we do. The blessing of God is on us. Isn't that what the scripture says? It doesn't say that if we sow to the flesh, we won't reap anything because it's not God's will. No, it says, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh. And if you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap of the spirit. You're, you're going to reap a harvest regardless of why you sow it or where you sow it or how you sow it. Why? Because the blessing of God rests on my decision. What does it say? Death and life, blessing and cursing is what? It's in my control. What? I, you're telling me that I get to choose what's blessed? Whoa. Whoa. You're telling me that I choose what is blessed. Not God in heaven. No, me. What I sow, I will reap. And it's empowering for me to understand because I tell you, one of the things that I noticed, and I, I'm going to stick to my notes after this tangent. <laughs> one of the things that I notice is that people are so afraid of stepping out because they're so afraid of missing it. I tell you, that is not, that's not the case. 
Like I tell people, do your very best that you can do. Seek God, get counsel, do the right things because you want to make the right decision. But don't, don't be afraid to step out and start to do something. Why? Because God is going to bless. He's going to bless you. He's going to bless you in your endeavor, right? It's like a child, right? If they're tying up their shoe and they accidentally tie it up wrong, the parent doesn't come and cut their legs off, right? Like, that's ridiculous. But sometimes we feel like that's what's going to happen. Like, I'm going to get one chance with God. Oh, I hope that I did it right and I figured out how to do it because if I do it wrong, I'm never going to get another. That's, that, that's not God at all. But you see, what we have to understand, what, is that there's freedom, what, to step out. There's freedom to, to, to go down this road. Okay, like I said, I want to stick to these notes. Okay, so last week we talked about a couple of things. Uh, with Sh- the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, the first one, oh, actually, let me do this first. So what does quit look like? Okay, because that's what we need to know. Because when I say killing the quit, I'm going to be like, well, I'm not going to quit Christianity. But really what quit looks like is doubt, it's fear, it's worry, it's negativity, it's like cursing yourself, right? It's like complaining, it's like judgment, okay? Releasing things that are not, right? It's like I wanted to wear, I looked for a WWJD bracelet and I couldn't find one. (laughs) I'm going to bring those back. But it's basically like going into every situation that you go through and asking yourself, in this situation, what would Jesus do? Right, like Jesus gets a bill in the mail and he doesn't quite have that much money in his bank. I highly doubt that Jesus is going to flip out. Okay, I mean, I don't know, maybe the Jesus you know is different. But I'm sure that even though it would never happen to Jesus, but if Jesus got sick, he wouldn't get afraid and think that he was going to die. It just doesn't sound like Jesus. So what? What is, it, what is happening to us? It, this is encouraging us to what? Simply just do the best that you could do to in every situation respond the way you think Jesus would respond. Not, not crazy, okay? So last week we talked about th- uh, four different areas of, of, of understanding what do I do when I'm in the midst of adversity? How do I respond to trying situations that are trying to get me to quit or stop short of the fullness of what God has asked me to do? Okay, do you remember this? So we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we talked about four main points, right? Number one, you must know the word, okay? If you didn't write these down last week, this is your opportunity to write them down. Number one, you must know the word. Why? Because you need to know what you're standing on, okay? Number two, you have to stand on the word. And why do I need to stand on the word? Because chances are, you know, as you're changing what you're believing, things aren't necessarily going to go exactly the way you thought they were going to go. So you have to stand on the word even when it seems like the word isn't working, okay? Number three, what you have to do is keep out the doubt, which is simply don't be ruled by sense knowledge, okay? Emotions love to try to tell us how to feel about a situation, but we have to choose to believe the higher truth, which is the word, over the sense knowledge. And number four, we have to constantly be in the midst of situations you look for Jesus, which is asking him, we talked about this last time, I say it all the time, Jesus, tell me the truth, okay? I'm always looking for the Lord to tell me what's the right now truth, okay? So you got that. And so, so last week we talked about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and this week we're going to take just a little bit of time and talk about the Apostle Paul, okay? Because if there's anybody in Scripture 
who really had a hard time in life, it was the Apostle Paul, okay? I mean, like, when you read about him and the accounts of the negative things that he's gone through, right? He's like, I was shipwrecked, and I was, you know, a bunch of nights at sea, and I was bit by a snake, and I was abandoned, and I was beaten with clubs, and I was driven out, and I was whipped, and, you know, five times I had 40 lashes minus one. Like, the dude went through some negative stuff, okay? And, and what, the thing that I discovered is that more so, I think, I, I didn't study this, but more so, I think, that any writer, what he talks about living this life where it's almost like the negative situations that he's going through mean absolutely nothing to him whatsoever. I mean, like, he says things like, it's a light momentary affliction, you know? Or he says, like, in all things, I've learned to be content. You know, as literally as if, it's kind of like you want to look at him and be like, you know, Paul, are you, like, dense or something? Like, this is not good, okay? But it was, honestly, it was like if you read through the life of Paul, you understand that, he, he, he saw something or he knew something that literally made him impervious to negativity. And we're going to take a look at his life because, like I said, we know that Paul went through a lot of things. So it wasn't that, you know, Paul was able to do the amazing things that he did and had the great revelations that he had because he never went through anything negative. We know that's not the case. So if he was able to go through negative situations and those negative situations weren't able to make him quit, how many of you would say he, he knows something? Okay, and I want to know that. Because I remember hearing a teaching from Rick Renner that talked about how, you know, he went through all of these things, but like the scripture says, you know, be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatever a man sows he'll reap. Rick Renner does a beautiful job about talking about the life of Paul and how at the end of the life of Paul, he was this like, you know, they talk about it to the place where the Greek word that's used to talk about his wealth is the place where, uh, I forget the word, but the general meaning of it is, is that even if you were to try to figure out how much money he would have had, you wouldn't even have been able to figure it out how much he had. How many of you know that's a good problem to have? Okay? It's a good problem to be too healthy. It's a good problem to be too prosperous. But I tell you something, it wasn't that Paul didn't go through tribulation, but it was that he understood how to, in the midst of tribulation, keep moving forward to the place where he actually was able to experience his harvest. Okay? It's one of the things that Blake Healy says, it said in his book that really stuck out to me was that if people only knew the treasure and the promise of God that's just laying on the street, people's spiritual inheritance and, and, and natural inheritance is literally just, he said it was like piles of gold just sitting out front of people's houses. But because they didn't finish the course, they never were able to take all those riches and bring them into the now. Does that make sense? Yeah. I want to know how to do that. I don't want to have a bunch of spiritual blessing that I can't spend. I thought I'd get some love from the ladies, but nothing. <laughs> right? I don't want to have spiritual health, but die sick. I don't want the promise of God and the spiritual blessing to be that I can have a long and happy life, and yet I get divorced. Okay? I don't want that. But a lot of Christians, unfortunately, because they don't understand how to make themselves impervious to quit. Yeah. 
It's not that God hasn't blessed them. It's not that what they've done isn't blessed and isn't bringing a harvest. It's that they don't understand how to, through the difficulty and through the tribulation, just keep moving forward so that I get to the place where I harvest everything that I've sown. Because I don't know about you, but I got a lot of seed in the ground. I've sacrificed a lot and given a lot and done a lot. And I don't want to get to the end of my life. And because I wasn't able to hold on, that I don't reap everything that God has for me here on the earth. Can I get an amen? Okay. So when we look at the life of Paul, I have three things written down. Now, I'm not going to say that these were all the things that he used. These were really just three things that really stuck out to me. Um, and, and, you know, I'm sure that he did a whole bunch of other things. But I, I think that if we were to sum up his life, you would look at this and say, I, I would say that's what he did as well. And so what did Paul do to avoid the quit? I'll tell you. Number one, this is what I believe that he did. He had a mentor. Okay? He had a mentor. All of Paul's, or, or the majority of Paul's letters, if not really all of the letters that Paul wrote to the different churches, were from a mentorship role. Where he was talking to the churches, maybe it was to an individual but he was speaking to people and what giving them light. Okay, when we first get introduced, right, to, to Paul's ministry, we know that Paul had a mentor, it was Barnabas. Okay, each and every one of us, if we're going to get to the place of living in a harvest, you must, I must, we must have a mentor. Okay, Timothy was being mentored by Paul, Paul was being mentored by Barnabas, what? mentors pull out of us things that we didn't know were in us. A lot of the destiny of God that's on the inside of us, because we don't necessarily know what we're looking for or how to identify things, we miss out on the fullness of what God has for us simply because we don't have someone in our life who can identify something when it's in seed form. Can I get an amen? You know, it's really difficult when I look at a tomato seed, I don't really know, you know, I'm sure there are some people who know this, they're like, oh, that's a tomato seed, okay? I don't know. <laughs> However, I can definitely tell you what a tomato plant looks like. When there's big, juicy tomatoes on there, I'm not confused as to what that is, okay? But you see, what a mentor does is he's able to look at our life and identify what's only in seed form right now and give me a vision for what the tomato plant can look like when I wouldn't even necessarily know or notice that that seed is there. You see, a lot of people miss out on what is on the inside of them and destiny simply because they don't have someone in their life who can call that out and teach us how to nurture what God has put on the inside of us. Okay? Proverbs, and then Proverbs eleven fourteen says this in another aspect. Proverbs eleven fourteen says that there's safety in the counsel of many. Because when, this is what I realize, and this is sometimes, you know, the, the challenge that I have with people, you know, and I hear it a lot, you know, like, oh, I, I'm just getting a no. I'm always getting a no. Like, I pray and ask God, and he's just giving me no's. And I'm getting a no, and, you know, why, when is my time for a yes? And it's like, I get the frustration but at the same time, when I think about it, I'm thinking, this is your life. Like, don't you want to do the right things? Is it, 
Am, am I crazy in thinking that way, right? But something that you see, this is why the scripture says that there's safety in the counsel of many because like we spoke about earlier is that if life and death is in the power of my tongue and whatever I sow, I'm going to reap. You going where I'm going here? I want as many people in my life as possible, as many mentors in my life as possible so that I make sure that everything that I sow, I'm going to want to receive the harvest of that thing. Could I get an amen? Okay. Mentorship is insanely important in our life. Or what happens to a lot of people is because they don't understand how to identify or deal with things on the inside of them. They end up like the Mark IV soil where they have, you know, the truth coming up, but they also they got a garden full of weeds. Okay, and we know what the scripture says, right? That chokes the life. And so what? I want to mentor in my life so that I make sure that the seeds that I'm sowing, the directions that I'm going, what I want to know that this is where God has for me. Okay? So that's what mentorship do, right? It's like basically what they do is they help us to identify blind spots in our own life. Okay? It's been happening to me, and maybe it's the Lord like talking to me. But two times in the last two days, I saw somebody get cut off, like hard cut off, because the person over here was in their blind spot. Okay? I, I wish it was possible, but it's not. Each and every one of us have blind spots. There are things that we just don't have the ability to see. And so we end up stepping out because it seems like it's the best option. But unfortunately, because we didn't have the ability to see this thing that's, you know, sitting right here that I just can't see. And so it's not in my decision making at all. And I, because I don't see it, and I don't have anybody in my life to tell me that this is happening. What happens is I go and I step out and, oh, I fall into trouble because I, what? I missed this thing right here. What? It's just like a teenager, right? How a teenager, I was like this. You think you know everything. Okay, my dad is so smart. And when I was 13, I was convinced that I was smarter than my dad. Okay? <laughs> and it's the same thing that we can do, right? Is that in our spiritual development, we could sometimes be a lot like a teenager where we think that we know the best and we think that, okay, that's why we have mentorship in our life. But that's why Paul had mentorship, right? In the beginning of his ministry, he was making a mess. What? Until he was mentored and somebody was there to help him to, to hone his gift and to understand about his destiny and to, to get into the fullness of his power. Okay? Amen. Number two. So number one, you need a mentor. Okay? If you're going to make it, you're going to need a mentor. Okay? You don't want to be putting out fires for the rest of your life. Okay? And the enemy, let me tell you, the deception on the inside of us will make sure that what we just run in circles, putting out fires, feeling like we're going somewhere because we're moving, but never actually getting any distance toward our destiny. What well, I want to move forward. But, and, and to me, it's I want to bring, I'll bring as many people in my life as necessary. Because why? Because my destiny is my focus. That's my focus. I'm not focused on what's happening right now as much as it's great and I'm happy. But if something is, nothing is worth the destiny in my life. And so what? I want to have as many people as possible to speak into me. Number two, you need family. Okay? You need family. Maybe you, you're sitting in here and you wouldn't say you have natural family, okay? Praise the Lord for victory, okay? Praise the Lord for victory. Why? Because family is not just because we share the same DNA. Well, I guess we do share the same DNA. It's Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus. Okay? 
You need family. One of the things that you notice about Paul in his writings, and in all of his travels, you'll always hear about what? Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Silas. What? He, Paul, understood. We, we were not meant to be alone. You weren't meant to be alone. I wasn't meant to be alone. Why? Because there's safety in numbers. I, 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 you, this, I always talk about this analogy because I saw it one time and it like scarred me for life. It was on one of those YouTube, you know how you get on the YouTube trails, okay, and you end up like, how am I watching somebody popping a zit right now? Okay, <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about. That, it happens to everybody. But one time I'm on this YouTube trail and eventually I, I, you know, it gets to this thing with a seal, okay, and the seal is on like this iceberg and these killer whales are, anyways, it didn't end up good for the seal. But in that analogy, the Lord spoke to me about how this is even in the wild. Predatory animals know that the secret to lunch is isolate the one. You see, a lot of the times what I hear so often is excuses to isolate yourself from your family. You just don't understand. If you could only see it the way that I see it. I tell you what, excuses for isolation. We are an easy target, not just to the enemy, but to our own negativity. When we don't have people around us to simply maybe just encourage us. I tell you, you and the Holy Spirit, you're not enough. Can I say that again? You and the Holy Spirit, you're not enough. Yeah, I got my one friend, and it's Jesus, and he never fails. He's a brother that's, he's a friend that's closer than a brother. Okay, if that was the truth, then Adam in the garden, God wouldn't have identified a need. What, what did God say? It's good for man not to be alone. But wait a minute, Jesus, weren't you with Adam in the garden? What, it's good for us not to be alone. There are intimate times when it's just you and Holy Spirit, yes. But that shouldn't be your only source of encouragement, okay? Because sometimes it's hard to hear the Holy Spirit when you're not feeling happy or good. But you got a family member, a friend who's in your face, and they're quoting the scripture at you, that's, that's hard to ignore right? God gave us family. Why? Because when we are weak, they can be strong. When we are weak, they are strong. It's one of the most amazing things that I love about this family that we have here is that there are times when I'm just not feeling it, but I know that there's a room full of 200 people, 300 people that I can go to who at any given moment will give me something from the Lord, a right now word, that what will lift my spirit and, sh- and shock me back into, oh yeah, that's what it is. Oh yeah, this is the truth. Oh yeah, I know that I was thinking this way, but okay, I see it the way that I see it. What? When I am weak, there are people around me who are able to be strong. That's the greatest, you know, thing that I think about people who don't feel like you need to come to church and like no condemnation on them. But my question is like, how do you exist without bringing yourself into places with people. Like, how do you live without the encouragement? 
how do you live without the accountability, right? And, and like I said, no condemnation. But if we want to go far, yeah. what well, I need family. I need people around me to keep me accountable, to talk to. Like you should have somebody that you're sharing your stuff with. Okay? Like it's not, yeah, and, and I'm not saying that you got to blat it, you know, blurt it out to everybody. Okay? But you should have someone in your life that you could be real with that you could talk to. Why? Because the enemy loves to sow negativity in our minds. He loves to plant little seeds on the inside of our head. And what? I, I, need, to, I need to get this out. I'll say that sometimes. I know this isn't the truth, but I don't know what the truth is. So this is what I'm feeling. I need you to help me to see that. Okay? We need people to help us when we fall, to encourage us to keep moving. And I'll tell you, we need to be here because Yes, there are times when we are the weak ones, but most of the time when I come to church, I show up because I know that I'm strong and I can help somebody else who's feeling weak, okay? And I'm closing with this. Number three, you need to control your thoughts, okay? This is something that the Apostle Paul talked about all the time, all the time. We must learn what it feels like to take control of our thoughts. Why? Joyce Meyer said it so beautifully. Because the battlefield is in the mind. The battlefield for your future is not you're in a fisticuffs with the enemy. Okay? That's not what's happening. You're not fighting the regional demons in order to get your blessing. No, the battlefield is what it's in, it's in our mind. It's what I'm actively fighting the doubt, deception, lies that try to tell me that what the word says isn't true. I tell you something, this is what the Lord said to me a couple years ago. There's never a good day to have a bad day. Isn't that good? There's never a good day to have a bad day. What? Negative thoughts, they're thieves. Every negative thought has come to steal something. And maybe it's not your destiny. Maybe this negative thought has come simply to just steal your peace. It's come simply just to steal your joy. Okay? You see, we fight negative thoughts with the word, and we fight them with his promises. And number two in, the, in this, controlling our thoughts, we have to actively change what we believe, okay? Romans 12, 2 says this, that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You wanna transform your situation? Renew your mind. You need to get healing in your body? Renew your mind. You're feeling depressed? Renew your mind. You're experiencing poverty? Renew your mind, okay? What? Renew your mind to the truth. If you've been given the authority, what? I want to learn how to use it. So close your eyes. So Heavenly Father, I'm just thanking you for what you're doing right now. Just stretch out your hands. I'm just really believing in all these that really I believe what God is doing 
is that he is encouraging us to go beyond natural limitations. That things that have held us back, we would stand up and realize that this has no power over me. So I want to do that. I'm going to open up the altars right now. And and this is what this is what I believe that God wants to do. Is if you are and this is going to be not an altar call that's like, "Oh, I'm weak and I need to be strong." What I believe God wants to do is is that if you are if you're in this place and you feel like, "Yes, this is what God is doing in my life. That I know that this is my season of transitioning from uh, from one season into the next. It's my season of transitioning from where maybe before I let the enemy make me quit or maybe even right now you're feeling like you're having a difficult time holding on to a promise. I'm going to invite you to come up. And, and I'm believing that what God is going to do is, and, and I know that this message has been delivered because God desires that there would be impartation. And so if that's you and you'd say that, you're one of those two categories where you're saying, this is it, I'm stepping forward and I'm not looking back, or you're looking at it saying, I'm in something and I've been believing something for a long time and I don't know if I can hold on anymore, I'm going to invite you to come up here and I'd like to, I'd like to lay hands on you. So I'll invite you up. Anybody who feels that way, come on up. Everybody, everybody. Whether it's one or the other, or maybe it's both, you're looking at it, that's fine. But I want to say, as you're standing up here, I want you to start to, yes, worship, yes, all those things. But what I want you to do is, as you're standing up here, I want you in your mind's eye to see what it would look like to live in that place of freedom. Because as much as I'm believing that as we lay hands, there's going to be an impartation and breakthrough, what I'm mainly believing is going to happen is, is that we would become convinced of one thing. And that one thing is that we have been given everything that we need in order to change our future. And so maybe there's something wrong in your body right now. I want you to do is envision sitting in the doctor's office. And you're seeing he's running all the tests and he's saying, you know, I don't know what happened, but it's not there. Maybe it's that you're sitting with your bank manager and he looks at you and says, I don't know what you did this year, but this is the best year you've ever had. Maybe you're believing God for your spouse, but and you're 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 seeing that somebody walks into church and it's like, oh, there's this magical connection. Whatever it is, I want you to see it. Everybody's an alternate you guys can come up. And just start laying hands on people. That's what we're going to do. We're going to agree with you. Stir it up. Feel the emotion of what it feels like. Where your business is succeeding. That you've been given favor. That your relationship has been restored. That your kids have come home. 
whatever that thing is, let yourself be stirred to feel the emotion of what it feels like. Stir up the expectation, refuse the doubt. 